If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching us on Facebook, we're really glad that you're here and watching. So we're, we've been continuing this series, Driven by Eternity, by John Bevere. Um, if you've missed any parts, you, I can get those to you on CD. You can listen to them on our website. Um, and some of them we have on our Facebook page, but we've been having problems with our Facebook. I think we're back up today and live, and it's running well. So I think we've uh, ironed out the wrinkles for that. Um, our goal today as a church is that um, you'll be blessed by being with us. Crazy, God-fearing, full of love and hope and purpose people. But most of all, that you'll be transformed by the presence of God. That's what we really hope, because it's really not about us. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been discussing how to fulfill our God-given calling because the believer will have to give an account at their day of judgment about what they did with their time, their talents, and their finances. Can I get an amen? That's what the Bible says. Okay? Remember I said, remember I said that don't look at your task and your work in heaven like you do on earth because work in heaven will not be like work here. Does that make sense? You're not going to get tired. You're not going to need a nap. It's not going to get overwhelming. There's not going to be any jealousy or competition in heaven. So, so don't think of work in heaven, because some of you may be surprised to, to hear that you're going to be assigned a task, because we are all going to be rulers in heaven. Every one of us. It just depends on what. And we'll talk about that a little bit more today. But I started thinking about that statement, and, I, and the Lord kind of have you ever been spiritually spanked by the Lord? Well, this one didn't hurt. This was one where I put some books in my pants and I didn't really feel it, but I heard the message. And he said, Mark, that's what work on earth is supposed to be like because you're practicing for heaven and you're supposed to go dancing to work on Monday morning and singing and spreading the gospel and full of love for other people. I thought, wow, you're right. Just like our worship, we're practicing for heaven. We're supposed to go to work stress-free. Work on earth should feel easy. It should energize us, and we should definitely do it with joy. Amen. Remember, we build, God, we, build, we build God's house with what two things? Do you remember? With a poor and contrite spirit. Remember that? Remember we talked about that? We talked about poor being humble. We have to be humble. Well, contrite, the word contrite means quick to repent. It also means broken. Remember we talked about the broken horse. Okay? Everyone say quick to repent. You can't repeat that enough in your heart. Repentance is one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. And a lot of people don't understand what it means. They look at repentance from the Old Testament perspective. They see it as beating yourself up. And because they have an Old Testament view of repentance, now in 2019, we think that anybody that has hurt us, it's our job to deliver punishment. Whoa. Um, hello. The cross is empty. He paid for that so that there would be no punishment for sin. So why are you punishing the person that hurt you? It's not biblical. It's not godly, folks. Repentance actually means a complete change of the mind or heart. So you may have been hurt by them, but now you have some work to do to let it go. You have to renew your mind and change your heart response. Right? I'm not even into the sermon yet, and you guys are like, what? It's interesting. We view things one way, and then all of a sudden, God's wisdom comes along, and you're like, whoa, that's the complete opposite of what I thought. And you turn completely around to the direction and the heartbeat of your heavenly Father, right? We let go of our stupid view, and we embrace the view of God. That's what repentance is. For today, we're going to bounce off the last two weeks and we're going to go deeper into a word that we mentioned. Here it is, and I already said it. And guess what? I believe this is our first word for 2019. God spoke it to me as I was preparing this. Multiplication. Multiplication. That's our 2019 word of the year. The year of... Okay, and, and the reason why I really felt that is I started thinking when the pastor's cabinet met... God really spoke to me that the first thing I needed to say to them after we talked a little bit just kind of generally is that this is the year for our church for discipleship. 
Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be discipled by the end of the year. This is the year that the leadership of the church needs to develop a discipleship system. This is the year. So we are currently working on two discipleship systems that will help everyone in the church, if you take advantage of them, to grow and mature in Jesus. That's what we're working on. We have a lot of work ahead of us. So please be praying for your pastor's cabinet and your leadership team. There's going to be a lot of writing, and, and that we've decided since we did so good on the leadership training that we're going to write our own, uh, we're going to use materials, obviously, for other, from other people. We're going to write our own material for our baseball diamond discipleship system. Isn't that cool? Your leaders get excited about that. It's really cool. Instead of just using everybody's material and not asking God to download stuff, that's not the way your leaders run this church. We're going to ask God to download what we need to, to help disciple you. The idea, and here's a word you'll remember from either last year or the year before, because now I'm getting kind of messed up of when God gave us these words. The idea is to be more intentional about reproducing ourselves. Multiplying new believers, multiplying mature believers, multiplying servants, multiplying leaders for the kingdom of God. That's the goal we have. We want to help you figure out what your God-given calling is. How exciting is that? So you don't have to do this alone. That's the importance of planning yourself into a local church. We will help you figure out what your God-given calling is. And then we will give you opportunities to use that calling. So we're going to start today with a journey on a journey with a bunch of scriptures, and we're going to continue next week. But here they are. John 4, 36 through 37. John 4, 36 through 37. I'll be reading from different translations. Uh, We can have a theological debate about the translations, but you know what? God gave them to us, so we use them for whatever point we're trying to get across. You know, it doesn't matter how inaccurate one is and how accurate another is. I'm not going to argue with you, and I'm not going to quit the church over that. Come on. God gave them to us, so I'm going to use whatever one makes the point that I'm trying to bring out because the important thing is not the translation, it's the message. You hearing me? New Living Translation, the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people. Wow. Brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another one harvests. And it's true. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Do you know, I may, I may have a Becky. Who, your, your Becky is the person that you're pouring your life into, not just to invite them to church, but to bring them into the kingdom of God. I may spend two years with somebody and never lead them to the Lord, and they may go to Tri-County Church and ask someone there might lead them into the Lord. I was the planter, they were the harvester. We're both going to be rewarded. You don't just get credit when you say a prayer with somebody and lead them to the Lord. You get credit when you share Jesus with them. Right? Jesus is talking about rewards for working together on earth. Paul's talking about being rewarded for our own individual work on earth. Remember, you can't earn or work your way into heaven. You can't. It comes from the love of Christ. We love him because he first loved us. It's a response. Okay, And in your notes, if you're, t- if you're following, filling in the blanks, the believer can stand before Christ at judgment with confidence. I don't know how many times i got to say that to you Christians because some of you freaked out when we talked about hell, but if you're a believer following Christ, you don't need to worry about sermons on hell. It shouldn't have upset you. And then those of you that are just kind of playing games, it should have upset you. It should have shaken you, shooken you, whatever the right word is. To your core. It was supposed to wake you up. It's not a fun message. The believer can stand before Christ at judgment with confidence. How? In your notes. By perfecting and maturing the love of God in us. Now, how is the love of God perfected in us? By obeying his word. By keeping his commandments. That's a whole separate sermon, but I'm going to read one, at least one or two passages on that, at least one. Right? By keeping his commandments. It makes sense, if you think about it. More Christ now, more reward later. Do you realize that we cannot love properly without his love in us? We can't. Because people are difficult to love sometimes. So you hear my wife say amen? She's, you hear that? 
1 John 2, 4 through 6 says, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar. And is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. In John 10, 25, Jesus says something amazing. He replies, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do for my father. Are you hearing that? So it's not church attendance that gets you to heaven. The proof that you love your father is in the work you do for him while you are on earth. Jesus said it. You guys don't believe it? The proof is the work that I'm doing for my father right now. He goes on to say there, but my sheep, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So as long as you remain with me as one of my sheep, as long as you don't leave the sheep pen, as long as you obey God's commands, you will not perish. You can stand before me with confidence. But I believe it's a conditional promise because God's very clear that you can't serve two masters. And some of you are trying to. Listen, the point is this. Adhering to the word of God is what will perfect his love for us. And love is what gives us a confidence on the day of our judgment. So let's talk about rewards. Each one of us, if you don't already know from what we've been teaching, each one of us has different callings. But all of those different callings produce one result. Lives that are impacted for eternity. Like I've been saying this entire series, many people believe that only pastors and ministers who have reached thousands of people will be on the front lines of heaven. And I'm going to show you over the next two weeks that that is just not the truth. And it's going to excite you if you don't have the title as pastor or minister or evangelist or prophet or whatever, you know, because I think you are one of those probably. You just don't know it. We think the guys on television... The Joel Olsteins that are, have a church of 10,000 people are the ones that are going to be on the front lines of heaven. And it's just not true. They may be. They may not be. I had Yeah, I'm not going to go into that. In your notes, the reason is because every one of us has the opportunity to be rewarded greatly. Every one of us has the opportunity to be rewarded in heaven in a great, great way. Can I get an amen, please? Because that's a pretty phenomenal statement. It's what you do with the opportunity that'll decide what your reward will be. Because for the believer, for the believer, remember this whole series, I've been trying to say this over and over. For the believer, it's not about where you're going. It's about how you will spend eternity. So every one of us has the opportunity to be rewarded greatly. Because God does not reward as man rewards. We look at people on TV. We look at someone that travels a lot and just, man, they're just sold out for the ministry. We just automatically believe that they're going to have a throne in heaven. And I'm not going to get anything because all I'm doing is leading children's church or I'm sacrificing in the nursery. Listen, God rewards based on acts of obedience. He doesn't reward as man rewards. Don't believe me? Read the entire Bible and you'll see it. Even our salvation requires actions. John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him shall never perish. It's a choice. And we just read, whoever follows me and whoever listens to my voice, whoever obeys my commands, they are my sheep. They shall not perish. And we've been talking about that God judges and rewards according to what we've been called to do. Not what we did, good and bad. Our sins aren't going to be re replayed on a TV screen. Okay, He's going to judge us based on our calling. And all those things that we did or didn't do for him are going to pass through the fire of God and whatever survives the fire of God, we're going to be rewarded for. And this pastor wants you to have a great reward. Even if you don't like me and you don't like this series, I'm still going to preach the truth because I want you to have a massive reward when you get to heaven. And you know what's amazing? Is God has given us the power to accomplish our calling. Hallelujah. He gives us the ability to accomplish what he's calling you to do. And the Apostle Paul illustrates this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Watch this closely. In a minute, I'll have you turn to some scriptures, but for now, you're probably not going to keep up with me. 
1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, Paul says an amazing statement. For I am the least of all the apostles. You know why? Because he was broken. He was a broken horse. He was humble. He was poor, and he had a contrite spirit. This book was written in 56 AD, 10 years right before Paul was beheaded. And, but up to this point, do you know that Paul set up more churches than anyone else in the entire world? And then some. And he says, I am the least of all the apostles. He saw himself as the, the bottom of the barrel of all pastors back then, all the preachers. And yet, he had more fruit than any of the other preachers. How could he write that? How could he write that? Well, read the next verse, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. And I, I, but I labored more abundantly than, the, than they all. So he worked, right? I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, I worked harder than anyone else, but I couldn't have done any of it if it wasn't for the grace of God in me. See, Paul was able to separate himself, his flesh, from the source of power. He realized that there was nothing that he could do of eternal value that God didn't give him the ability to do, and it kept him humble. So let me tell you a little bit about my high school career. Um... I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but I was, I was fairly smart. I just didn't apply myself. I was the class clown. So I thought it was more important to make people laugh than to learn something. I just wasn't. And, but you know what? I still graduated with honors. Can you imagine if I actually applied myself? My mom and my, uh, do they have, um, what, do they, what do they call them? Guidance counselors? Do they still have those in school today? My guidance counselor and my mom used to sit in a chair across from me and go, why don't you apply yourself? They saw it. I kind of knew it, but I just didn't apply myself. One time, I actually ended up at the top of my class in my senior year. I know you didn't believe that. I was in the paper as the t smartest kid in my senior class. Now, there's a funny story behind it. It was kind of a fluke. You're just going to have to pull me aside later to tell you because it's a long story. But I was the top of my class. It wasn't a mistake. I had the highest average out of anybody in my class. But there was a reason for it. Now you're really going to be distracted through the whole sermon. I knew that I was proficient at almost all the subjects if I wanted to be. But here's what's interesting as I thought about today's message. There is one thing in high school that I really struggled at. And I mean I really struggled. It almost made me quit high school. Do you know what it was? She said, Jim, because of this. I didn't have this 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Public speaking. I would literally fake being sick the day that I had to stand in front of the class and speak. One time, I even, as I was walking up to the podium to do a Romeo and Juliet thing that I had to, to rehearse, I threw up in the trash can next to the teacher's desk and then delivered my speech. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I used to think I cannot, whenever I had to speak or whenever they mentioned an oral report, I remember going, I cannot wait until high school is over. Remember the seed in the ground from last week or the week before, remember? We plant a seed, but what people don't see is the, the, the soil that surrounds that seed. Through the sun and through the moisture and the heat, it starts to put pressure on the seed, and that harder outer shell finally just cracks and life springs forth. So, for me, high school was my soil. I couldn't wait to get out of... Remember we said that the seed says, get me out of here because of the pressure? I couldn't wait till high school was over so I would never have to give an oral report again. And look where I am today. <laughs> right? Here's my point. It's the same as with Paul. It is only by the grace of God that I'm even able here to stand before you and speak. It is only by the grace of God. 
Because I would love to be in the back, and I know I've said this over and over, but I'm really serious this. I'm really serious. I would love to be hiding in the sound booth like Richard does every Sunday. <laughs> and someday Richard's going to stop hiding because I think God has more for Richard. Amen? Amen. Richard's like, hey, I preached once. <laughs> yep, once. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. My point is, like Paul, I understand the grace of God, which gives me the ability to do what I am called to do. And he gives you the same thing. And we heard about fear this morning. We're going to read about fear today. We cannot let fear keep us from our calling. Just like God gives you the ability to be a worship leader. Right, Dusty? Where's Dusty? Right, Dusty? who started this whole thing out with fear. Look at her now. God gives us grace to be a missionary, right Katie? Wow. God gives you grace to be a stay-at-home mom, a nurse, or a construction worker. You don't have to quit your job over this series. You have to figure out how you're going to leverage your job for the kingdom. That's all. I had people come up to me and go, does that mean I have to quit my job and find a, a real spiritual calling? Well, no. You're okay. Do I have to, do I have to change my college Major? No. Just figure out how God's going to use that, your passion, for His kingdom. God gives you grace to be married to a perfectionist. Right, Angel? Oh, you said that quiet. Thank you. See, that's grace. We're supposed to give grace to people too, right? She could have shouted that, but she's learning. Whatever you're calling, God gives you the grace to accomplish it. I want to read something from John Bevere. Listen to this. John Bevere was doing an interview with a guy on the radio about all the books he had written and all the success that John Bevere was having. But the interviewer never wanted to talk about the kingdom. He just wanted to talk about John. And it made John very uncomfortable. And as he was speaking, the Holy Spirit spoke to John, and this is when the interview was finally done, touting all that he had accomplished. This is what John Bevere said on the radio. There are thousands, there are thousands that are pastoring smaller churches in rural areas all over the country. These pastors are perfectly obedient to the will of God. They're doing exactly what they are called to do. But you will never have any of those pastors on your program. The reason you have me on here is because God has given me a unique calling that I am doing. But so are all of them. And you know what? Many of those pastors will be standing on the front lines of heaven because they've been obedient to the call of God on their lives. And when I look at what I've been called to do, God says that there is nothing that I can add to my calling. The only thing I can do is mess it up. And that causes me to fear. And when you really figure that out, it totally liberates you from pride. Because all of, a sudden you, you, all of a sudden you realize that I can't improve on what I've already been called to do. All I can do is mess it up. That revelation liberated me that day. I realized that it really is all about him and not about me. All I have to do is be an obedient servant. How many of you know in your notes that as the church, we are God's army on this earth? And we all have positions of rank. And we all have gifts to accomplish the positions that we've been placed in. Remember what we said. The heavenly realm does not... It's, it's not the same society or... What, what did I say? It's uh, the, the political words. Help me, Lord. Um, what's that? The kingdom that God has still has a ruler and still has servants. And all those servants have rank. You know, see, in our society today, we want everybody to be equal. Democracy, yes. The, the kingdom of God is not run like a democracy. Okay? Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Lord, for using Amy. As a church, we are God's army. We all have positions of rank, and we all have gifts to accomplish the positions that we've been placed in. And even though we fight jealousy and coveting other people's positions on earth, we will not covet another person's rank in heaven. We won't. We will celebrate it. And the Bible is clear that we're supposed to practice that right now on earth. We are supposed to rejoice over someone else's victory and not be jealous. Remember what we read in Proverbs 24.3, Through wisdom, a house is built. Through wisdom, a house is built. 
But the Bible tells us that there are two wisdoms. So the question is, what wisdom are we building with? What wisdom are we building with? James chapter 3 explains this to us. That there's a wisdom from heaven, and there's a wisdom that's not. James 3, 13 through 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything, every evil thing are there. Guys, this is why we did an entire sermon on motives. Because in your notes, it doesn't matter how good someone appears. It doesn't matter how good something appears. If what we do is fueled by envy and self or self-ambition, we are building with fleshly, sensual, or demonic wisdom and motives. Let me repeat that. Let that sink in. If what we do is fueled by envy or selfish ambition, we are building with fleshly, sensual, or demonic wisdom and motives. So I'm thinking, man, I don't want to build anything out of those two things. So what is envy? What is selfish ambition? Let's look at those. I'm going to start with envy. Envy, which is defined as the feeling, in your notes if you want to fill this in, the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of someone else. Whoa. The feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. When you see someone prosper around you, do you rejoice or do you think, how come that's not me? Listen, if we view the call of God through through the world's eyes, let me repeat that. If we view the call of God through the world's eyes, then envy is unavoidable. And I'm going to explain in a minute. That's why we have to have kingdom eyes. Because if we view it through the world's eyes, we're going to be jealous. We're going to be be envious. We're going to do things out of selfish ambition just to make ourselves important, to get a position. And it's none of it's for the kingdom. This is why so many pastors in our area are envious of Tri-County Church. Because they're viewing Tri-County Church through world's eyes. And you know what you get when you do that? Competition. Jealousy. How come that's not me? Instead of rejoicing with kingdom eyes that the kingdom of God is bigger and more glorious because of what Dave Bish established there. You getting this? The Apostle Paul had a lot of pastors who were envious of him. All the work that he was doing for Christ. So he wrote about it. It's kind of hidden in the words here, but you have to read the whole thing. But in Philippians chapter 1, 15 through 17, Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. The people that preach with goodwill do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. So what if you don't agree how Tri-County does church? Who cares if you don't agree how Treasure Lake does church? Maybe they have a different calling on them for this area than you do. Let's personalize this in your notes. If you start comparing yourself to someone else in your church, you're going to begin to envy. It's not about comparing. We don't compare ourselves to other churches. We rejoice with them when they grow and get bigger than us. Because it's the kingdom that's growing. Hopefully. Right? Not all growth is good growth, but hopefully it's good kingdom growth. If you start comparing yourself to someone else in the body of Christ, you're going to begin to envy. And you know what's sad about that? The, the only person that you are competing against is you. No one's going to stand with you at judgment. Just you and Jesus. Tommy's not going to be able to go, hey, I heard Pastor Mark came here before me. Um, before I come before Christ, can I have him as my uh, lawyer? Because I need some help here. I need him to defend me. Jeez, you know, the angels are, the guards are going to go, um, sorry, that's not how it works up here. 
You're on your own, buddy. And you're going to be all right, so you don't have nothing to worry about. You're not going to need me, Tommy. I may need you. <laughs> let's talk about selfish ambition. First, let's define ambition before we put the definition up of selfish ambition. Ambition is defined as an eager and strong desire to accomplish something. So in your notes, selfish ambition means eager and strong desire to accomplish something for your own interest. For your interest. That's what happens if what we do is fueled by envy or selfish ambition. Now, what if you're fueled by kingdom passion? If what we do is fueled by kingdom passion, then we are building godly wisdom and godly motives. Are you getting this? If everything I do is with a kingdom mindset, then I will gain godly wisdom and have a pure heart of, of godly motives. Let's go back to the passage in James 3. We're going to pick back up in verse 17. In a minute, I'm going to have you turn somewhere, but right now, just kind of look up on the screen. But the wisdom, James 3, 17 and 18, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen, fighting envy is hard. I understand that. But that's why we need the power of God's grace to give us the ability to make our motives pure. Now let me tie this in with how we started today. Want to know why many of us don't receive certain things? The things that we are envious of in other people? Because we do not see the beauty of repentance. We don't see the beauty of repentance. When I realize that the problem is actually in me and it's not the other person, when I realize that the problem is, is in me and it's not Tri-County that has the problem, or the person at work or at church that irritates me, when I realize that the problem is in me, Lord, I hate it. Lord, I hate it and I repent of it. That's when God scoops it out and then he gives me the grace to walk in his wisdom. In your notes, godly wisdom's goal is not to be the greatest, but to be obedient to the call. Godly wisdom's goal is not to be the greatest, but obedient to the call. John Bevere watched. He was part of a church it was the biggest ministry in America. And he was a part of it and he watched it fall. And he says the reason is because in every meeting, they set a goal for their church. They wanted to be the biggest ministry in America. That was their goal. That was what the pastor was, was uh, telling them. That's my goal. I want to be the biggest church in America. In one year, in one year, I want you to fathom this. They went from 8,000 members to 400. And the building eventually had to be demolished because mildew overtook the building. Coincidence? Hmm. In your notes, godly wisdom will rejoice at the advancement of the kingdom, whether it occurs through us or another. Do you know, before Katie left two times ago, or actually before she took this year-long hiatus, or whatever you want to call it, I guess it was ministry. I mean, if I'm envious, then it's like, listen, that comes from a pastor who didn't want to share her with the world. But I, I did. I had an attitude at times, and I had to keep taking it to the Lord. But when, when, before she left, she said, I need your permission as my spiritual father and mother. Because I really believe that's what membership in the local church really means. That everywhere I go, I represent you. And so I want your favor. I want your blessing. And I'm not going to go if you don't give it to me. Wow. She took church membership to a whole other level that I never even dreamed of. That, that blew my mind. Godly wisdom will rejoice at the advancement of the kingdom, whether it occurs through us or another. It's not about just Katie pouring into our lives. We're supposed to be pouring into her life. And then whoever pours into her life, when she goes, you get rewarded for everything she touches. Oh, that makes you want to have Katie over for supper. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
It's way bigger than we think. Why does pastor always talk about Katie? That's envy. That's sin. Katie's you. Angel's you. Jean Christian's you, and she's already up there celebrating. She's you. Do you know, when John the Baptist's disciples became envious of Jesus, they became competitive. Who's this new guy baptizing people? Who does he think he is? We've been around for years. Who does he think he is? I heard a pastor here locally say, who, did, who does Dave Bish think he is coming in here and starting with 18 people and growing it to 1,000? I've been here a lot longer than he has. Huh? What? What is that doing for the kingdom? Causing division. When John the Baptist's disciples became envious of Jesus, they became competitive. And that created jealousy. And they tried to spread their offense to John. And when people are mad at the church and they're envious and they're walking in sin, they're going to try to put it on you so that you can attack us as well. Do not, the Bible says, do not take the offense on. Someone else's offense on. We're supposed to tell them to go deal with the offense, not to take it on and get mad with them, right? Well, this is what they tried to do with John. And with godly wisdom, John the Baptist said one of the most powerful statements that you will ever read in the Bible. I must decrease so that he may increase. He rejoiced when Jesus increased. You see, because godly wisdom always focuses on the good of others and not itself. It's not critical, it's not overbearing, and it's not dominating. So listen closely to this one. There are those, you may want to write this in your notes because it's kind of a cool thing that John said in the book. There are those who love the ministry and put up with people. Brenda, you're going to appreciate this. There are those who love the ministry and just put up with people. And there are those who love people and they see the ministry as a vehicle to serve them. There are those who love the ministry, but they just put up with people. And then there are those who love people and they see the ministry as the vehicle to serve them. That's why Katie gets mad at me. She doesn't get mad anymore. She used to get mad at me every time I mentioned her name from the pulpit. Because she just loves people. She doesn't need any acclamation from me. She just sees ministry as a vehicle to serve people. She gets it. And because of that, she does get a little bit of gold nugget in earth and she gets, you know, some attention because I got to use somebody as an example. So she's okay with it now, right, Katie? Plus, I haven't been able to use her as an example for months, almost a whole year. We actually talked about you a lot. It's easier to talk about you when you're not in the room. <laughs> There's another sermon. There's a, the passage, that passage that we just read also says, willing to yield, which means willing to be submissive to authority. In your notes, godly wisdom is joyfully submitted to authority. Godly wisdom is joyfully submitted to authority, especially God's delegated authority. Those whom God has appointed over you, like your boss at work. John Bevere said this, The people that are submitted to godly authority because they walk in godly wisdom are the ones who will be rewarded the greatest. Okay, you ready? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Hopefully we can go through these quick. If not, we'll just be here a while and that's okay. Because this is the most important thing you'll do all week. Worship God and dive into His Word. Matthew chapter 25, first book of the New Testament. This is where it gets exciting. Because in the Bible, we have two similar parables. And they are always looked at as the same, but they're not. The first one is the parable of the talents. This parable emphasizes that not all believers are given the same levels of callings and gifts and rewards. Okay? Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. I want you to watch for the multiplication words. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So the boss left. Now, a talent is a measure of money, but this is a parable. So the message is really not about the money. 
Okay? In your notes. This is what he's communicating in this parable. Each one of these men were given different levels of callings and different levels of giftings according to their ability. That's really what he's communicating. Different levels of callings according to their ability. We see this for ourselves today. We see ministers and we see ministries that are placed on a level of calling by God to literally reach nations. There are people that God puts on a platform like Todd White and Chris Valton. They're probably never home at their home church because they're constantly in the nation speaking. And then there are ministers and there are ministries who are placed on a level of calling in the mountains of Pennsylvania. To irritate and to try to teach and to try to love wonderful people who call themselves yins. <laughs> Here's something else that we can glean from this passage. What we can glean from this passage also is this in your notes. Every servant of God is given a talent. Every servant there got a talent. Every one of you has a call. Every one of you has talents that will accompany that call. Ready? Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. So he, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained. Multiplication, addition. I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, and this is what I hope everyone hears at the judgment seat. Well done, good and faithful servant, because you multiplied what I gave you. You added to what I gave you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Wow. Now watch this, verse 22. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few. Wow, it's kind of like the same reward that the other guy got. But he had less talent. Do you notice that? The reward for the man with two talents is exactly the same as the man with five talents. There's not one word that is different in the reward. Do you see this? Folks, verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was, I had fear. That's why I didn't answer my call. Because I was afraid. I was afraid, so I hid my talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Ouch. Everybody say lazy. You knew that I reap where, you, where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You know what that statement is? Because I planted you into a local church and you're the vehicle. I want you to do it. I could have done it, but I chose you. And you're going to have to answer someday for what you did with your time, talents, and finances. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own interest. Own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. So the first two doubled their talents. Both of them got the same exact reward. L listen to me closely. Level five was not praised more than level two. Are you following me so far? But the other guy that received one, he went away and hid his talent. He probably saw his talent as in insignificant. Coffee bar? I want to be up front. Children's church? Are you kidding me? Those crazy, unruly kids? I have to deal with them at home. By the way, let me address the parents. Remember what our goal is for our church. If your kids are utilizing children's church or nursery, you're supposed to be volunteering to help. We're not going to make you. We can't make you, but you're supposed to be involved just to help out. And the room got quiet. He probably saw his talent as insignificant, even though in your notes, God never gives anyone an insignificant talent. Anyone. Men? Some of you are called to be a construction worker, a stay-at-home parent, a clerk, an engineer, a missionary. 
As long as we're building the kingdom when we do those things. Right? Maybe he let envy towards the other two guys who received more than him to turn to jealousy and competition, which we know created fear in him because we read that, and then it caused him to be lazy. Why do they get to be so gifted? Why are their books selling more than my book? Why do they have so many people in their church? Why do they have so much money while I'm struggling? Why does she get to be on the worship team? Right? This is what happens in our hearts. By hiding his talent, he never fulfilled his call. He used his gift for himself or for something he didn't profit for the kingdom. We don't know. He just buried it. He lived in fear. Do you know what this really comes down to? And I know you're sick of hearing it. Obedience. That's all. Just obey. What is he calling you to do for his kingdom? At your workplace, in the church, at home? All right, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is the other parable that is very similar to this one, but it is also different in a huge way. This is the parable of the minyas. I didn't say minions, Mikey. Minyas. The parable of the minyas, minyas, however you want to say it. Now, I want you once again to watch for the multiplication words. Luke 19, 12 through 24. Therefore, he said a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minyas. So ten servants each got one minya. Minya. That means they all got the same. Okay? They all received an equal amount, one minya each, and said to them, Do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom they had, he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained. Judgment. What did you do with your time on earth? Then came the first man in, saying, Master, your minya has earned ten minyas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came to him, saying, Master, your minya has earned five minyas. Likewise, he said to him, You also will be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your minya, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared. I feared you. There's the word again. Many of us don't use or don't answer the call in our lives because of fear. Because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put your money in, why then did you not put your money in the bank? That at my coming I might have collected it with interest. One of the things that we'll see is how many souls did you touch on earth? How many people did your life bring to the Lord? That's your calling. That's every believer's calling to go and make disciples, right? And he said to those who stood by, take the minya from him and give it to him who has ten minyas. This parable is different in the sense that there are ten servants, not three involved, and every one of them is given the same amount. In the other parable, they were given different amounts, they were all given one. And did you notice that he only chooses to talk about three out of the ten? And this minya is what every believer is given when they are born again. Let me repeat that. The reason that this parable gives this, everybody the same is because we all receive the same gifts at the point of our salvation. What are you given? Faith, love, the Word of God, a deposit of the Holy Spirit within you, and much, much more. The fruits of the Spirit, hopefully, when you have your Holy Spirit conversion. In your notes, he's communicating in this parable that every single believer is given equal levels of the gifts of salvation, but rewarded according to the degree that they are multiplied. There's our word for the day and for the year. Every single believer is given equal levels of the gifts of salvation, but rewarded according to the degree that they are multiplied. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that the mom or dad who sacrifices their time to serve in children's church or nursery or in any ministry and miss out on things and sacrifice, they may be ruling over 100 cities in heaven. And maybe the evangelist who looked good but was not a person of integrity may be ruling over one city. We don't know. 
The point is this, every believer is on an equal playing field. Let me remind you, let me repeat that. Every believer is on an equal playing field as far as your ability to multiply and receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. We're all on, we all have the same, it's opportunity, baby. We all have the same opportunity. It's not competition. It's not jealousy. It's not envy. We will all have the same gifts of salvation to offer the world. We do. We all have the same gifts to offer the world. Hope, love, peace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, forgiveness, quick forgiveness, the Bible says. It's not just pastors and missionaries and TV evangelists and Billy Graham who can make a difference for the kingdom. It's you. This parable is amazing. Every believer has a pulpit and a stage to spread the gospel message and multiply disciples. In your notes. The manner in which we multiply will directly determine how much authority is entrusted to us in the millennium reign, millennium reign and in the new heaven and the new earth. The manner in which we multiply will determine how much authority is given to us in heaven. And by the way, manner there means what we do with our time, talents, and finances. Now, you can poo-poo the allegory that we read, the kingdom of Ephibel, because it's not the Bible. You can throw it out if you want. But in the allegory, the, it depicts exactly what Jesus just said. Selfish. Remember selfish? He was a mayor on earth in, in Endel. He was a mayor. He was a natural-born leader. But he didn't receive what he thought he was owed because most of what he did on earth was out of selfish ambition. And he was made a ruler of landscapers on the far outskirts of heaven. Not a punishment. It's just his reward. It's his reward. Remember Charity? She was a restaurant owner on earth in Endel. Not enough leadership ability to be a mayor, perhaps, on earth. But she used her gifts of salvation to bring many to the kingdom. She leveraged her restaurant to bring people to the Lord, not just to make money. And because of that, many people came to the Lord. And she was made ruler of a continent. And she got a throne next to Jesus. Notice, both, in, both of those people and all believers will rule in some capacity in heaven. We will all be rulers. We will all receive a reward. And you know, selfish in that, in that allegory, he was not jealous of charity, but you know what? He had a lot of regret that he didn't make mo the most of his time on earth. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to wrap this up by showing you how to multiply, how to multiply. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4. Grace and peace be what? Multiplied to you in the what? Knowledge of God and of Jesus. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Notice in your notes that the very things that God gives us can be multiplied. They can be multiplied. How is grace and peace multiplied in our lives? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus. And that knowledge is not just book knowledge. It's not just about reading your Bible. It also means intimacy knowledge. Knowing your Father's heart. And you're only going to know your Father's heart if you hang out with Him in quiet time. So please listen closely. Jesus is trying to give us the, the keys to success in the kingdom. If you want to be successful in being a kingdom builder, then you have to be more intimate with God. And if you are, guess what happens? The grace we get is multiplied, and it gives us the ability to do more and multiply more. This is why every believer should spend quality time with God, because that's where grace is multiplied, in intimacy. It's what sharpens our dull acts when we're trying to work, work, work. Let me prove it to you by going back to a verse that we shared this, started this series with, and then I'm going to read a little bit past it. So we're going to add something to it. Proverbs 9, 10 through 11. Remember this? Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. How do we build our lives? Do you remember? Wisdom. Through wisdom, a house is built. Don't forget that passage. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. I don't think I need to do a separate sermon on that. Makes sense, right? Do we always have good judgment in our decisions? No. Part of the reason is we don't have godly wisdom to help us make those decisions. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good decisions. Wisdom will multiply 
your days and add years to your life. Everyone say wisdom will multiply and add. Wisdom will multiply and add. Listen, this doesn't just mean that you'll have a longer life. What this really means and added to that is you're going to be able to get more accomplished in a day. When you have a sharp axe, you can knock down five trees instead of two trees in a day. Does that make sense? Are you getting this? I bet that your job would be more joyful if you leveraged and used it to build the kingdom of God. Talk about Jesus more at work. I bet your job would become more joyful. They may not become more joyful, but eventually they may turn around and give their heart to the Lord. And you're going to go, wow. If that guy can give his heart to the Lord, anyone will. Remember my Becky? Listen, if ministry gets hard, it's because grace is not being multiplied. Ask yourself if you, if you slacked off on your quality time with God. I want you to think about this. One of the reasons that people seem difficult to us is a lack of knowledge of our Heavenly Father. When we see difficult people through our lens, all we will see is their behavior. When we see difficult people through God's lens, all we will, we will see is godly potential in them. You see, a lack of hanging out with God causes us to lose His view of people that are around us. We only see their flaws instead of seeing the potential that lies within them. And then we start to compare ourselves to them. And in this way, we become a Pharisee. And we start to tear them down with our words instead of building them up with encouragement because they're in sin. And we think we're better. And you can't build people up by avoiding them. Let me repeat that. You can't build people up by avoiding them. Think about the number one excuse of why people don't serve in the church or their community. No time. Well, I think we helped you with that today. Because wisdom causes you to do more in a day. That means you are able to do business more effectively. Not only for your gain, but for kingdom multiplication. This is just having a kingdom mindset with everything you do. This is amazing. What an amazing lesson. We're going to pick right back up next week with this. It only gets better. You don't want to miss it. Let's stand. So we don't want to leave here without making a decision, right? What are we going to do with what we just heard? What are we going to do? Remember, we started, we started this out by talking about repentance. Do you know how one way Satan causes you to cease from building the kingdom of God is unforgiveness. Because man, when you're, when you're full of bitter and hate towards someone who has hurt you, that's all that comes out of your heart. That's all that comes out of your mouth. Negative, getting even and making them punish for what they, making them hurt because you're punishing them for what they did instead of building them up and encouraging them. Listen, we're not saying you have to hang out with somebody who's hurting you. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about forgiveness. Giving it to the Lord. You know what? They weren't perfect, but guess what? You aren't either. So the same grace that God gives you when you mess up, you have to give to them. We have to remember that, folks, or we'll never survive. We'll never survive spiritually. If you're here today and you've never asked the Lord in your heart, maybe this is the day you just say, you know what? I want to build God's kingdom. I want to be a part of that. And you just ask Him into your life. But the, really, the prayer doesn't save you. It's when you surrender your will and trust Him with your life. Maybe you just walked away for a while and you want to renew that relationship. You can return to believing that God has gifted you for a reason and get plugged into a local church somewhere. For you believers that seem to be stuck, you're just kind of in a rut. You haven't felt God's presence in a long time. It just you, don't, you really haven't built anything. You're just kind of... You're on vacation because you just, you're in a funk. And that's okay. We get there. We all get there. Maybe you just need to return to spending quality time with Jesus and use your gifts and talents to build his kingdoms. So that's intimate time, but it's also getting involved in church activities that you can build other people up. For those of you who have been following Christ for some time, maybe it's just to spend more time building your knowledge of Christ reading your Bible more, or an anointed book, or praying, or listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to a message online, but just building your knowledge of who Christ is. Listen, I, 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 hope, 
I hope your goal is the same as mine, that I, I want to be, be found on my deathbed with a teachable spirit. So Father, we're asking you to just teach us more about you. Help us to be more intimate with you because none of us will survive this life. We will lose our hope. We will lose our joy when things in this life don't go the way we planned them out. Lord, in that moment, in that moment where we can't see three feet in front of us, that's when we need to have trust in you because trust in you will bring back our hope and our peace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know why? Because the things of earth will grow strangely dim when you're looking at Him and not at your problem. Father, we want to be, listen, we want to be kingdom-minded so that we can build the house of Zion. We don't have to quit our jobs unless you're telling us to. We don't have to leave this church unless you're telling us to. Regardless of what decision we make, we just want to be kingdom-minded in everything we do. At our jobs, when the customers come in, if we see that they're hurting, we can ask them if they would like us to pray for them. Do something that's building people up and encouraging them and loving them. Forgiving people quickly because we've made mistakes ourselves and you forgave us quickly. Remember, forgiving is not forgetting. It's just deciding that you're not going to bring it up anymore. And you're going to let it go and give it to the Lord. Right? In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.